welcome to Vista Talks, interesting discussions with interesting people from all around the world. I'm your host for today, Priscilla Charles, and I'm delighted to be joined uh, today in Studio 2 by Roshin McGuire, co-founder and CEO of Jetpack Learning. Thanks for being with us today, Roshin. It's a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you so much for inviting me, Priscilla. Of course. So now let's move on and get on um, with the show. So Roshin, you're the co-founder and CEO at Jetpack Learning, a HTML5 educational games publishing platform. First, can you tell us a little bit more about the organization, please? Uh, how, when was it founded? Tell us everything. Yes, well, Jetpack Learning is actually a startup and I sort of smile when I say that because I myself have been running my own company for 18 years now mm -hmm. and to say I'm from a startup is, is I something that I haven't said for almost 18 years. So Jetpack was formed from um, my original company, iSparks, mm -hmm. which is a general digital design company. Yeah. And the, myself and the other founders of iSparks are all from a digital design background. Mm -hmm. um, that was um, where I came from. Um, and so when we set up iSparks, as I say, it was general digital design. But the founders of iSparks, myself included, our background came from digital education uh, as our sort of specialism within design yeah. so I had previously worked in the BBC wow. and my co-founder Tony Woods who also is my husband um, he used to work for a large multinational educational publishing company as well in the design side of things so while we did general work in Icebarks uh, there was always a segment of our work which was to do with educational design. So even before the term ed tech was a thing, we were working in ed tech but didn't quite know it was ed tech at the time. <laughs> so over the years, um, our local education authority here in Northern Ireland, the CCEA, yeah. had tasked us with doing various pieces of design for their uh, digital materials. Mm -hmm. and. In the last sort of five, seven years, they tasked us with doing digital interactivities and learning games for schools who were immersive schools in the Irish language, both North and South. Mm -hmm. And when we started to do this, we thought, right, well, let's get into these schools and see what the needs are. Mm -hmm. And so we went around various Irish immersive schools and um, one thing that really struck us was these the teachers in those schools were so passionate about the language learning and that you know the revitalizing the irish language and keeping it fresh and keeping it new okay. and they really seen the move into digital as somewhere they wanted to go because they wanted irish to be seen on par with other modern languages yes um so there was great passionate educators everywhere we turned and we really wanted to do an extremely good job for them in producing materials for them. Um, so we developed great relationships there and that work continued. And we kept getting asked for more and more learning resources for, for these schools. And after a while we thought there, there must be a way of streamlining this work and making it more efficient for us to build and, and for teachers to use. And after a number of years, we realized that we had sort of productize the development of learning games mm -hmm. and we began to think well hang on we've sort of produced a product here where anyone without any coding skills or anything like that can produce a digital interactive learning game 
and this must be applicable to schools outside of Irish medium education and so we went to the British Educational Technology Conference which runs every year in January in London and we went over with this idea and we demoed it to many people who come by your stand as these things happen and a representative from the Ontario School Board happened to be there from Canada and he said oh I, I don't um, recognize the language that, that is in that game. What is it? And I was explaining to him, well, it's, it's Irish and it's the indigenous language of Ireland and et cetera. Yeah. And he immediately, I could see this light bulb going off in his eyes. <laughs> um, he said, at the minute in Canada, we are really trying to redress decades, if not centuries old imbalances in the education of our First Nation communities. And part of that is helping them to both preserve and revitalize their languages. And I could really see this working with, for those communities. Yeah. Um, so we said, oh, great. So he sort of gave us a few pointers about the Canadian education system, yeah. which we then went off and investigated. And we basically just through our website put up a news story about our focus with indigenous languages and how we're very keen for any educators who are struggling to get digital resources for indigenous languages to get in touch and see what we can do. And just out, out of the blue, this lovely, amazing educator from Kamloops, which is in the northerly remote part of British Columbia, got in touch and said I am the language coordinator um, for this wonderful immersive school in Canada for the Schwempak Nation and I'm really trying to get materials for my children in the school yeah. to give them something that is on par with other educational things they see out there. So she is trying to instill in those children a sense that their language is just as relevant as English or any other modern yes. foreign language. But when they look at the, at the resources out there for their language, they say, well, our language isn't really on a par because where's all the groovy digital resources and then they don't do this. So we, her name was Catherine Michelle and she was a really vital person for us to make contact with because yet again, another very passionate educator and with us, she, we worked together almost as partners rather than a client and a service provider. Yeah. And the system that we eventually built together became our game changer platform. So it became an authoring platform so that anyone who's involved in education can create their own learning materials and turn them into games. Um, so that was, that was our first toe in the water outside of Ireland with and yeah. with the indigenous language communities. Um, so that relationship now has been going on for the past two years and it allowed us to veer away from our general digital design agency iSparks and focus Jetpack Learning as a startup with this great product that we knew could be applicable to many, many educational establishments, especially those focusing on indigenous languages. That's great. That's fantastic. Well, um, I'm delighted to hear um, that um, all of those um, 
um, meetings led up to such fant uh, fantastic initiatives and um, and developing more uh, products and helping more students around the world and languages um, to be kept alive really and uh, and um, speaking of um, the products that Jetpack uh, is providing can you tell me a bit more about the types of games that you provide to educational bodies because I understand that the platform offers um, over 50 easy to update language game dates uh, templates yes that's correct so our market is the K-12 market, but the games would be more applicable maybe to K through 8. Anything higher than that, uh, I don't think our games would be engaging enough for that age group, so probably mm -hmm. K through to years 8. Um, and the games to begin with were obviously language learning games. Yeah. But because the, the educator can do what they will with these games, we have seen educators take and run with these games to teach everything from maths to literacy to geography to whatever. Um, it really depends on the educator. Of course. Um, so we have built up a library of 50 templates mm -hmm. and an educator can go in there and pick a template, um, keep the graphics that are there and then put their own language or their own learning content in there and use the game to teach whatever subject that is their learning intention for their class. What it also helps is um, for a, a teacher to make multiple iterations of a game for different learning groups within their class. So if there's some children that are struggling yeah. and need more help on a certain topic, they can create games especially for them and kids who are finding the topic easier, they can create more challenging games for them. So it's, it's really, the, the games are there to give teachers a tool that mm -hmm. they themselves can mold to whatever the learning needs of their particular students are. That's fantastic. Um, that's so interesting. That must be um, in, in demand, I suppose, in so many different uh, areas of the world, there's so many languages. Uh, um, um, around the world that would uh, require uh, those type of games. And speaking of those languages, last year, uh, 2019, was the year of indigenous languages. That's and I understand that Jetpack um, created hundreds of interactive learning games for indigenous languages spoken in Canada, for instance, and in Northern Ireland, as we just discussed. So can you share some backgrounds um, by way of an example of uh, the Chief Athens School um, and how this First Nation community in Canada is using Jet Jetpack Game Changer to publish game-based learning in their own Indigenous language. Yes, that, that's that's right, Priscilla. Um, I mentioned Catherine Michelle from the Chief Aton School. Um, Catherine not only is um, an educator, she also is the language coordinator for the preservation of the language of her particular nation, and she co-founded um, a language, an indigenous language conference, which actually happens in the Kamloops area in British Columbia. Mm -hmm. So she is very, very focused on language preservation. And the games that we produced for her school, she was a great publicist for us because she then took those games to other nations in the British Columbian area. 
and show them what could be done for their school. Um, and from that, those other schools then made contact with us and said, well, look, we, we've seen what you've done with Chief Atom. Could you do this with us? So yeah. we, we grew to a group of other schools around British Columbia who we also worked with. Um, some of these, these nations, this is uh, the first time that their languages have been um, written in some cases. Mm -hmm. um, so now that, that wasn't a nice sparks task. They were doing this themselves. Yeah. Um, and then they were coming to us and saying, right, okay, how can we um, build educational resources around this? Um, the Chief of Tom and Catherine in particular, their whole remit is the revitalization of their language. They don't want it to be something that ends up being historical. Mm -hmm. They want it to be something that is vibrant and relevant today. Yes. And they know that all children are obsessed with tablets and uh, yeah. <laughs> games, things like that. And seeing their language in, on a tablet playing a game just um, even on a surface level makes them think, oh, our, our language is just as good as the language spoken in the school down the road, you know? Yeah. So, um, so Chief of Tom had, was an absolute great link for us to make because when they seen what we were able to produce for their particular school, um, they worked so hard to let other nations in the British Columbia region know that this was possible. And... Um, it provided us with a, a lot of um of other work in that area that's fantastic um this can be a game changer in some uh, of the students education and that's oh, absolutely. Yeah. that's really helpful um so that's that's really fantastic so um you mentioned early on um a conference um and how you were involved in canada in uh, so in, in in the work and helping those schools um with those tools um and jetpack uh, spoke uh, at the 2019 indigenous languages conference in kamloops british uh, columbia you also uh, participated in a similar conference in hawaii can you tell us uh, about your experience um and since you've been involved um uh, quite a lot with the with the schools over there Yes, absolutely. Um, well, we came from this, as I said previously, from a background of really producing games for the Irish language. Mm -hmm. And I have to say, hands up, apart from the Irish language, I, but way back then, I wasn't that aware of what it meant for other people teaching Indigenous languages throughout the world, what their challenges were. Because yeah. while there are challenges here in Ireland, they're nowhere near the challenges that some other people face in various parts of the world when their language is almost endangered. The way there are endangered animals, there are endangered languages where literally the only people left speaking them are the elders of a certain nation who are very, very elderly. Yeah. So, um, but we became aware of this through working with um, the First Nations in British Columbia. Mm -hmm. And they, in March of 2019, they very kindly invited us to go with them to the Indigenous Language Documentation and Preservation Conference, which was run by the University of Hawaii in Honolulu. Mm -hmm. And that was an international Indigenous Languages conference. It was mainly it was for academics and linguists, but it was great for us to go to find out firsthand the challenges that people worldwide are facing Absolutely. in preserving and documenting language. Mm -hmm. and we went with 
Chief of Tom as a partnership to show other, um, other Indigenous language educators what was possible through digital in terms of preserving and revitalising particular languages. So it was great to open that out from what we'd learnt in British Columbia and to find out about um, what was happening worldwide. So there was, you know, people there from New Zealand, from obviously Hawaii sitting in the middle of the Pacific. So from all the Pacific region, um, India, Africa, all coming saying the same thing. You know, we don't want our languages to dissolve into history. We want to, to keep them alive. Um, but obviously they all face challenges in that, um, a lot of them don't have access to the internet. Yeah. A lot of them face struggles with getting funding for even basic education, never mind the, the kind of things that we would do, which might be seen as, you know, sort of the icing on the cake of education. Yeah. Um, so Hawaii was a great eye-opener for us in finding out all of the um, challenges that yeah. Indigenous language educators are facing. And it was good for us to showcase what we could do for them. Um, we, we made um, quite a few connections there, but again, a lot of people are waiting on the funding to come through before they can develop these projects. So it's, it's, it can be quite a while before the results of these partnerships come through. Um, and then further into the year, we went to the Indigenous languages in Kamloops itself, um, where we were here, where that is very, very specific to the Canadian First Nations. And but the great thing that is happening in Canada is the Canadian government are absolutely committed to bringing the Indigenous language schools up to the level that other schools have been at for decades. Yeah. Um, so the funding for um, the First Nations education in Canada is actually is, is there now. And so we've reached from British Columbia into Ontario and we're hoping to keep developing those things as, as, as time goes on. Um, but Canada was such a great place to start because the, the current uh, government there are really focused on this and it really shows us that when a fo when focus is put on this problem that and you know money is basically unleashed and allowed to help the educators flourish we Absolutely. can see what can be done so you know it, it would be great if other people followed the, the, the Canadian example yeah no absolutely it is so interesting um, um, I suppose from uh, coming from Northern Ireland for you as, as well to see um, how here the effort uh, on uh, keeping the Irish language alive and seeing how it's done uh, in the opposite part of the world and then um, and then seeing the importance of continuing to keep all of these languages alive. Um, so have you, uh, from your perspective, have you seen this, uh, have you heard about this need uh, in other uh, parts of the world and what are the, what, what type of efforts would you be um, um, working towards to, um, to, to help other um, schools around the world or other um, countries that have uh, demands like that have, that have needs? Like that. Yes. Well, most educators get their their schools would get their resources from the big, large educational publishing houses, and as you can imagine, those big, large publishing houses 
um, they sort of uh, they develop materials really for the, the, the main modern foreign languages. Um, so they don't really have a focus mm. on the, um, the smaller indigenous languages. So there's a real deficit of materials worldwide for indigenous language learning. Yeah. Even uh, apart from education, if, if you just look at things that are on, um, on the internet at the minute, UNESCO did a survey a while back where it found that 98% of the internet's web pages are published in just 12 languages. Now, mm -hmm. worldwide, there are roughly 7,000 languages. And 98% of the internet's web pages are published in just 12 languages. <laughs> so that shows you the amount of languages that are completely missing from the, from the digital realm. Yes. And um, so there is, a ch there is definitely a challenge worldwide. Um, you know, we, we were talking a while back to a publisher who is trying to develop materials for the... Uh, South African market and they were saying in South Africa alone there are nine separate languages spoken which is something I didn't know about but as a publisher they're 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 trying to address the, the most widely used one so what seems to happen worldwide is that the, the, the large educational publishers will produce materials for the, the, the most widely spoken languages mm -hmm. and the teachers who are teaching in more remote areas where there are smaller minority languages are sort of left to create their own materials. Mm -hmm. And they become almost many educational publishers in their own right. But as you can imagine, the materials that they're producing are very, very basic, usually photocopied materials and things like that. So uh, we really see our role and the reason we move from a service business where we were creating bespoke games mm -hmm. to providing a platform is that we hope that educators from anywhere in the world can go into our platform and go okay i can take this game and completely repurpose it for yeah. my community using our language they can even go so far as to adding in images for their particular culture um, We've we seen this in, in work that we did in British Columbia, where we were able to provide them with different imagery that was more relevant to their children. For instance, we had a game that used a Labrador, and for the British Columbian kids in rural British Columbia, we changed that to a coyote because it's something they would recognise much more easily than a Labrador. Um, so it's just it's things like that that you know this a lot. So it allows them to change the language. They can change the graphics. They and you, you know, but we we still come up against problems that are sort of beyond us in a way. So so that would be good access to the internet and also digital devices for children as well. That's something that we personally can't change. So, you know, we have given um, schools access to this platform, but really it needs to be almost at a governmental level where these more rural educators and minority educators are given the access to, you know, digital equipment and also better online connections would really help as well. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you. Thank you for sharing, uh, for sharing uh, all those insights with us. Um, I'd like to talk about uh, the Fingerball Awards now. Uh, you've recently won the Fingerball Award 2020.
2020 in the category of indigenous languages that we've mentioned. Uh, so congratulations again. Uh, we're delighted um, for you. Can you tell us a little bit about um, um, why, why you entered the award in the first place? What, this, uh, what did this mean to you? Yes. Well, I had heard about the Think Global Awards and I was looking at it just out of interest when it was announced for this year. And I was really, really surprised when I seen that there was an Indigenous language category because it is so unusual for an award ceremony to include an Indigenous language category. So immediately my eyes wind and thought, oh, wonderful. Um, and I was able to go in then and apply and, and begin to talk about what we, we had done um, about Indigenous languages. Um, Winning the award was an absolute boost to us because, as you know, the awards announcements came up just as we all went into lockdown. Yeah. So I think, like most businesses, we were sort of struggling with, okay, what do we do now? We, we sort of need to pivot and we need to do all these things. And then this lovely award landed on our door and we thought, well, we you know that this means so much and we really need to publicise this um, because... We are working in a, in a minority field, if you will. You know, the more people know about what we offer and what we do, the better, because it is quite a niche offering. And, um, you know, the, the more light that can be shed on it and the more people that can be aware of it, um, the more benefit to us and, and to people who are using the platform. So it, it was absolutely great to get that award. And especially at this time when I think, you know, most businesses are scurrying around trying to make sense of this new world that we're all operating in. Um, it was a great boost. And even to have, you know, the online award ceremony was great in itself to see all the other winners and to hear about what all of the other companies were up to and hearing from all the other founders. So it was a really positive boost at a time when I think most of us were really struggling to come to terms with this mm -hmm. business landscape. Well, thank you very much. Um... And again, congratulations on winning uh, the Fingal Award 2020 in the category of Indigenous Languages. So now I'd like to talk about, um, I'd like to come back on um, Jetpack Learning and um, as some of the news that I have noticed uh, on your website recently, I see that as a response to the global pandemic, uh, Jetpack Learning in conjunction with other local edtech companies is making its software available to schools um, in Northern Ireland and free of charge. Um, we talked about the importance of keeping uh, indigenous languages alive, but in the current context of this uh, dreadful um, pandemic, uh, how important is this? Is this uh, the initiative that you, uh, um, you've taken on board? Well, one thing that has always been key for us is gathering feedback. Mm -hmm. We really, really want our platform to be the best that it can be. And the only way it can be that is to get feedback from teachers that are using it, teachers and publishers who would be using it. Um, I, I, I keep referencing Catherine Michelle from Chief of Tom School. Um, yeah. And the reason I do that is that the feedback that she gave us initially really helped shape our platform. You know, um, so hearing from an educator on the ground, that was what shaped our platform. So for us, giving our platform away free for the foreseeable future until schools possibly start up again in September is a way for us to get the platform into as many schools as possible during lockdown. 
and to use this as a real feedback gathering time. Um, so what we're basically saying to teachers and publishers at the minute is look, you can use this for free, it's absolutely fine. And all we ask for in return is that you give us feedback on how useful you find it, what other features you think would be helpful to include in it, um, what topics and, and subject areas you find it most useful for. Yeah. Did the children struggle to use it remotely? Um, all these things. For us, this is absolutely key. You know, you could look at this time as, oh my goodness, you know, we have a product here that sells into schools and schools are closed. Oh my goodness. But we're looking at it from a point of view is, look, let's use this time as, um, as well as we can. And for us, that is feedback gathering. And also just developing relationships with schools, because I think most schools and most teachers are really struggling at the minute to find yeah. engaging interactivities that children can do. Because children just opening up a screen in the morning going, okay, what exercise have I to complete today? Yeah, yeah. It's different. You know, really nice games and interactives to play with. Um, and not sometimes not even realizing that they're learning is just great. Mm -hmm. So um, anything that we can do to help teachers through this difficult time and develop relationships with more schools and keep gathering feedback. Because one thing we did do when we first set up was we, we hooked up with two academic institutions. One was University College London, who mm -hmm. run a great accelerator program called Educate. And it's really to teach um, anyone developing an ed tech product to really focus on the education and feedback and effectiveness area of it. That's their whole focus. You know, do not produce any ed tech until you have researched, 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 until you have really understood the effectiveness of your product and what it helps teachers to do. Um, and we also hooked up with the Learnovate Centre, which is part of Trinity College Dublin. Mm -hmm. and they similarly worked with us. Um, they provided us with a teacher um, from the United States, from Chicago, actually. And she worked with us to show us the different ways we can gather feedback and how to formulate feedback forms and things like that. So working with Learnovate and working with UCL in London has always instilled in us this evidence gathering, effectiveness gathering. And that's really what we're using this time to do because we realize it's, it's sort of downtime for, for most people. And mm. you do have downtime, the best thing to do is really engage in research. Teaching, yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's so interesting. Well, yes, no, this is, a, this, as you say, you're absolutely right. This is um, an interesting time and definitely a time to um, gather and learn. Um, and, uh, um, and speaking of the lockdown and speaking of the, the current situation, um, the, the measures have been eased uh, and are being eased in certain countries and, uh, and in Ireland soon to be eased in a few days time. Now we're hopefully and hoping to enter a post-COVID-19, um, a better word, but um, it is going to be challenging. So how do you see the educational sector developing? As you said, you know, for some children, it's, it's quite difficult at the moment to, you know, sometimes um, um, stand in front of a seat in front of a computer every day. And um, what do you think? Do you think that this recent global pandemic has changed the way in which we learn uh, in the future? And is online technology becoming more and more of a requirement in general? For children to learn? Yes, I think 
obviously what this has done has been to shine a huge spotlight on educational technology in yes. all its forms, from the video platforms through to the games, through to everything. So there's been a huge spotlight shone on educational technology at the minute. Mm -hmm. And the, the problem is that this, this wasn't planned for. So, you know, no one put any plans in place for suddenly 1.2 billion children worldwide to be out yes. and remotely learning. So what you're seeing at the minute isn't sort of uh, in the true educational technology work because it's always going to be part of a education mix. So it, it should really be part of a, 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 a day in the classroom where part of the time you're interacting with the teacher or whoever, and other times you're learning alone, maybe with a screen or in a group and things like that. So uh, th this sort of remote learning pupils on their own at a screen isn't really the best way for educational technology to flourish or really be used but we are where we are and I think what it will do is whatever experience schools have in these coming months with different platforms and different educational technologies will they they will be the judge of what worked and what didn't so things that they are finding currently are really helping motivate their students and engage their students will be the things that they want to stick with post-pandemic. Yeah. Um, yes, it is obviously shown that teaching can happen remotely, but this isn't the, this isn't the best way to do it. Um, yeah. I mean, it, it, it's shown up the inequality. So you know, we, we all have this notion in our head of children waking up every morning, opening up a laptop and getting on with their work. And that just isn't true because in one household, there may be three children and one laptop. So, you know, the children all just can't sit down at their desk yeah. and start working. So, you know, it, it has shown the sort of the drawbacks of remote learning. But again, I, I say that is because what is currently happening, it was something that just was not planned for. You know, if this was planned for, children would all have been sent home with tablets and, and whatnot. Yeah. And, you know, but obviously that, that wasn't possible. So it has, you know, it has shown a spotlight on the strengths of educational technology because doubtless teachers are finding it absolutely imperative to use this technology to stay in touch with the children and to provide them with lessons. Mm -hmm. But it's also shown, shown a spotlight on um, things that still have to be addressed. And the things that still have to be addressed are the, the access to digital materials, just as, exactly the same as what I was saying about the indigenous language communities. Mm -hmm. you, know, yeah. you, can, you can have all these wonderful things ready to go, but unless children are able to access them, that they are of no use. So hopefully post the pandemic, these um, inequalities will hopefully be addressed. But I think the good thing for anyone engaging with teachers in any meaningful way at the minute with their educational technology, if the teachers have had a good experience of these things, if the children have really engaged with them, they will hopefully be the things that the teachers will continue to use post pandemic. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Roshin. That was uh, so interesting. And um, is there anything you, um, you'd like to share? Anything else you'd like to share with our audience today, whether it is about jet jetpack learning, about any potential new project you'd be working on? What, what's next for the company? 
just prior to the lockdown, we actually hooked up with a, a primary school here in Belfast. Mm -hmm. It was because it was quite a large school and they were very technologically focused. Mm -hmm. And we asked them would they partner with us for the rest of the year using the platform and giving us continuous feedback. And one, one thing we had in mind was that we, we didn't want to steer them in any particular direction. We yeah. said, showed them how the platform worked and we said look can we leave this with your school for the rest of the year mm -hmm. and, and drop in with you possibly once a month and if you would be uh happy to show us what you've been up to and what you've what you've been doing with the platform and they said absolutely come in let's go so you on our website we have the start of that journey which was just back in march literally pre-lockdown but yeah. what what happened, and it, and it was absolutely fabulous, was we went and had our first monthly meeting with mm -hmm. them in March. And they are not an immersive language school. They're just a, a regular primary school. And the different applications that they had used our platform for things that we just hadn't even thought about. Um, they were using it for literacy. They were using it for numeracy. Um, and one teacher in particular said there was a child in her class who was on the autistic spectrum and work quite closely to her desk. Yeah. And he came over to her when he seen her creating games and said, oh, you know, miss, what are you up to there? I, I, what is that you're doing? And she was explaining to him that she was creating a game for the class. Yes. And he said, would I be able to do that? So she showed him how to create a game. And he did, he created a game for the entire class. And he was absolutely elated because obviously being on the autistic spectrum, he always feels a little bit sort of, um, you know, a little bit behind the curve of what's going mm -hmm. on in the class. And suddenly he was in charge of the class's learning. <laughs> and the teacher said it, it, it was such a boost for him, but he got it straight away. And that opened up to us the whole area of special educational needs and how this could be used for special educational needs pupils so that teachers can create materials just for them. Um, so that is an area that we're hoping to focus on um, post-pandemic. Well, we, we, and the teachers in that school are using the platform now for their remote learning. So we're continuing to get feedback from them as the year goes on. Um, but it's just, it, it really, our platform keeps developing the more feedback we get and, and things like that, that, you know, we didn't plan for it. It was just her using her initiative to help include a pupil in her class and it suddenly sparked an idea. Well, you know, what, what can we do in that area? You know, could that be another thing that this platform can be used for? So, um, yeah, so it, it when all of this feedback is gathered, um, we're hoping that the platform will be stronger than ever. So hopefully that will, won't be too much longer. <laughs> yeah, no, of course. But uh, I mean, that is fantastic news. Um, uh, um, and I'm just delighted to hear um, that, um, that, that this story is just a fantastic anecdote. And uh, hopefully, um, and w I'm no doubt, it, it'll help so many other uh, students around the world. So uh, thank you so much for sharing this with us, Roisin. And, um, and it's the, the end. Uh, no more question, unfortunately. Uh, time, uh, time flies, but it was, uh, it, was, um, it was a pleasure to have you on the show today. Thank you so much for sharing um, um, uh, those insights and all the fantastic work that you do with Jetpack Learning.
Great. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure to talk to you, Priscilla. And thank you so much for letting me come on to uh, the podcast and let more people know about what we've been up to. Thank you. Of course. Thank you so much, Roisin. And so that's the end of uh, today's show with Roisin Maguire, co-founder and CEO of uh, Jetpack Learning. Please make sure to tune in again to see the next uh, or listen to the next Vista Talk show when we'll be, we'll be discussing more interesting discussions with interesting people from all around the world.